This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. It's coming up to two minutes past nine. We're tuned to 102.7 RRR. Time for this week's edition and, in fact, the final edition for 2017 of Radio Marinara. My name's Bron Burton. I'm Rex Hunter. How are you, Rex? Good, Bron. How's yourself? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. you. Look, Just you and me today? <laughs> Everyone else is a gone. Very small crew. They've <laughs> gone. <laughs> On holidays. And Kent. And Kent. <laughs> Thank you, Kent, for coming in. Late. Kent, no, he's not late. He's not late. Um, Kent went to the Susans last night. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. I'm going to play a track from them today. But we have a uh, massive show lined up before we get into that. Thank you very much to Tim for, uh, I don't think it's his final vital bits for 2017. Oh, I was turning around to look at him in the green room. He's not there. Okay. Uh, And Andrew, of course, for his uh, special Tom Waits edition of uh, Soulful Bits. Yes, very good. Indeed. Today's show, we are having a celebration, Rex. Oh, celebration of... Rays. Of rays. Celebration. I'd like to to claim credit for the pun, but it's actually um, P.T. Hirschfeld, who's one of the founding members of Project Banjo. And um, we're we're celebrating. We're celebrating a few things. We're celebrating, obviously, the end of what's been a massive year, but also to see what's possible with with a campaign to lead to a better outcome for protection of marine environment and here in Victoria. And it's it's been this Cinderella story is the best way I can describe it. Absolutely amazing. Led from the citizens... Citizens of the of the Victoria and, and the res- and the response from government has been absolutely yeah. incredible. And then you know, so often with these uh, campaigns that run, it takes a long time. <laughs> there are problems. There's you know, and this has just been the complete opposite of that. So it's just been uh, mind blowing. So we're spending today acknowledging that. 
shortly we're going to have in studio uh, three of the founding members of Project Banjo. So P.T. Hirschfeld, uh, Jackie Younger, and also Mark Jones, who was the man behind the camera that took the first photo, which went viral and really kick-started this entire thing. So we're going to have a chat to um, to P.T., uh, Jackie and Mark about where this all kicked off. Then, very exciting, Rex, we're going to be joined on the phone by Minister for Agriculture, Yala Pulford, who's calling in. Oh, very good. Yes. So we're going to have a speak with... From her farm, perhaps? <laughs> well, we're going to have a speak with uh, with Minister about, uh, I guess, her role. Yes. Um, uh, in uh, the way I've been thinking about this is that when you have a relay race, you know, you have someone who picks up the baton and starts the race and then it's it always it has got to be someone who takes it over the yeah, line. Yes. And that's what she's done and that's been her role. So we're going to speak with her about that. Um, and then uh, we are going to have in studio uh, Executive Director of Fi- Victorian Fisheries Authority, Travis Dowling, and Dr Joe Klemke, who's a Principal Policy Analyst for VFA. Um, and... Getting into the nuts and bolts of what it takes to change the law and also with a situation like this, how it did come about so smoothly, so quickly and, uh, and you know, really talking us through that process. Yeah, an amazing result. That's it. And then to close the show, David Kramer is going to be on the line. Uh, David is going to give us a little insight, I suppose, from the recreational fishing sector. So he has a program on um, Channel 31 called Talking Fishing, um, and he's well-known and connected right through the recreational fishing sector here in Victoria. So we're going to have a talk to him about his perspective on this. So the recreational fishers have got behind it as well? Absolutely. Well, that's, that is good. It's great. Very quick uh, bit of weather, and then I'm going to ask you what's been going on in your world, Rex. <laughs> you have about a second. One minute. <laughs> yeah. Ten seconds. We'll, we'll catch up on what's been happening with you today. Forecast of 25, partly cloudy morning, mostly sunny afternoon. Winds south to southeasterly to 25 kilometres an hour, and then turning west to southwesterly in the evening. Tomorrow, a top of 33. Then we're pushing up again to 36 on Tuesday. A few showers and windy, and then back down to the mid to high 20 for the rest of the week and mostly sunny. The tide times today, if you're heading out on the water, it's, oh gosh, gosh, it was stunning yesterday. I was down oh. on the Bellarine Peninsula yesterday. It was just magnificent. Uh, we are heading for a low tide at 9.20 and then heading for a high tide at about 20 past two this afternoon. Oh, that's at Williamstown. Better give you the uh, the, the, <laughs> the point one star, which is more relevant for most. Uh, we've already had our low tide. We're heading for a high tide at 11.45 this morning. Very good. It was beautiful down there yesterday. We were out there as part of our news doing a um, search for the Winchester again off Queenscliff. So this is about our fifth search, I suppose. <laughs> We've covered oh, a couple of square kilometres. Um, and uh, what what I'd like to find, this, this is a wooden vessel that sank off Queenscliff, burnt, caught fire and sank off Queenscliff in 1853 and um, it's never been found since I was demolished by the Port Authorities in, I think, 1907, 600, something like that. So uh, MWV have been searching for this site for, oh, I think the first site search we did was 2009. Um, it's going to be small, broken up, but um, we figured this is going to be a good study site to look at uh, wreck salvage sites and see what sort of archaeology is left after you know all the clearing operations have taken place is, is there significant remains and, and we, then we're going to do a comparison against another site like a, a steel steamer up in Hobson's Bay and just do a comparison and look at look at the signs and the archaeology and um, and just write that up and just 
see what yeah knowledge we're after knowledge all the time that's basically what 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 we're about fantastic is that your summer mapped out then (laughs) (laughs) the next three years mapped out (laughs) now you've handed your master's in too congratulations handed the master's in uh to be uh reviewed and uh and for listeners who haven't, because um, we've spoken about your masters on here before, yeah, it's on the lime trade of Port Phillip. So we all the sail traders used to travel up and down Port Phillip Bay from the early eighteen thirties or mid eighteen thirties right through to about the nineteen twenties when the uh, the last one, which was the probably the Evian that was wrecked at um, Rye in nineteen twenty one. Right. So I finished that, and then looking about doing a PhD actually on. This comparative work, uh, salvage comparison of salvage sites and breaking up sites, just to look at look at the archaeology. Fantastic. See what it, what is there to be gained. What I knowledge? Thoroughly recommend a PhD. Just don't take five years to do yours like <laughs> I took to do mine. This is having too much fun. Yeah. <laughs> Great fun. Uh, we're going to need to move on. Yes. Any any last things you want to mention about the world of maritime archaeology before we move on to um well actually the um and her crew speaking of state government the uh all the advisory committees like terrestrial archaeology and um maritime archaeology were disbanded with the new act of uh new legislation being brought in heritage act so and they they were going to be disbanded completely but uh through pressure from various groups like the mwv and other other groups they've actually state governments decided to the former Heritage Working Group of Terrestrial and Maritime Archaeologists. I've been asked to submit a CV for uh, represent maritime archaeology. So, Fantastic. Next year it should be up in action. So that replaces the Historic Shipwrecks Act and the, and the Land Archaeologists. I mean, Historic Shipwreck Committee. So, yeah, that's... Uh, Something for us to look forward to next year. Something to look forward to, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. So just again through um, you know, action by groups of individuals or groups, you know, putting a bit of pressure on to so we don't lose this good uh, good representation for different groups. Great stuff. Thanks, Rex. That's all right. Good one. Now, back in April, a gruesome discovery under Rye Pier sparked a big reaction in PT Hirschfield and her fellow divers that eight months later led to changes in Victorian law. So much achieved in so little time. With that change has come hope that when it comes to protecting our marine life, anything is possible. So to kickstart today's celebration of what it has been... In an incredibly inspiring year of positive change, it's a huge warm welcome and congratulations to founders of Project Banjo. And uh, I'm going to say hashtag raise awareness. I think it's the first time I've ever used hashtag in introduction <laughs> before. Uh, PT Hirschfield, Jackie Younger and Mark Jones, good morning to you all. Good morning. morning. Good morning. Great to have you here. And, um, you know, fully acknowledging that you've given up what's probably an, a supremely good day of diving. <laughs> Is that true? It is, yes. <laughs> we did talk about the weather. <laughs> did you all get a dive in yesterday? Nope. Oh, no. Oh, well, plenty more good diving days coming up. <laughs> now, um, we uh, the last time uh, we caught up in person was back in March at Baja in Rye uh, for our celebration, our own celebration, 20 years of Radio Marinara. And PT, can you believe how much has happened since then? Because it must have only been a a matter of a few weeks after that show that you came across that terrible discovery under Rye Pier. Yeah, it really was. In fact, at that show at Baja, I met for the first time Sam Gummer, who became one of our committee members shortly after that when we started to really take some action and to address the issues that were occurring with the Rays 
under our peers. Mark, you were diving and you took that photo. You were diving with PT and it's, for me, it's PT's <coughs> raw and really gut-wrenching reaction of utter devastation and despair. Can you talk us through that moment? I guess when you discovered the ray, but then also when you when you kind of took that photo. Yeah, look, PT and I were diving and I actually moved ahead of PT as I usually do as PT. Uh, hangs around and takes <laughs> photos of seahorses for a while. Um, and I came across the ray and, look, it absolutely devastated me, only having swum with it a week before and filmed it. And um, yeah, to see it was just terrible. I went back and I let PT know that there was something there just so that the shock wouldn't be there. And um, uh, then we came and, and had another look and it was just terrible. Yeah. Um, did you have any idea at that time that that moment was going to be so significant and that photo that you took was a game changer wasn't wasn't it really this really kick-started everything look it was um i i i've seen so much in the past that's that's never gone anywhere and i really wondered whether this this could and and to the credit of pt and jackie and, and sam um that was the catalyst that that moment took us somewhere that um we, we haven't been really before and it was really good jackie at what point did you come into this well, I dived with that ray probably two days before with the school group, so I distinctly remember it. I've got photos of it. And uh, we had the end of our school term and I woke up in the morning, saw the photo, which was reposted from another site, and I think I pretty much ran you that morning. I contacted PT straight away. I was devastated, mm. absolutely devastated. As with Mark, I've seen many photos. This one just really hit the nail on the head with... Um, just the image was just so striking. Uh, I just got on straight away. I rang PT and said, how can I get on board? It's amazing, isn't it? And you do get to particularly these animals that um, effectively are residents. Mm-hmm. They, they have these areas. This, this is their home. This is where they live. After that, um, after our outside broadcast in Rye, PT, you and I went for a snorkel and took my daughter with us as well and, mm. and we saw that ray. And when mm. I saw it, I wondered whether it was the same one. It must have been. There's no other, you know... It really does. It really gets straight to you. Um, we've uh, actually. Do you know what I think we might do now? Is we need to mention the celebration that's going on, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, and I want to come back to the petition and when it really took off and when things really started to move. You've got a whole crew down at Ceres down in Brunswick. Yeah, we do. We really wanted to celebrate today because we're a global community who have made this happen. You know, the credit needs to be divided up over at least 33-plus thousand people. And, you know, a lot of people couldn't actually be here in the studio with us today, but... A bunch have gathered down around the corner at Ceres for a party and we've got listeners all over the world online and later on listening on podcast who are all really a part of this celebration. So really excited to everyone who showed up this morning at Ceres. So many beautiful faces Mm -hmm. to listen in and I think AJ is actually down there now with the crew. Uh, AJ, do we have you there? Good morning, AJ. Um, I think what I might do is I'll take him off hold. There we go. AJ, do we have you? Yeah, we go. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, congratulations, AJ, and it's a great day of celebrating. Um, tell us what's happening down at series. Well, we've got a bunch of very dedicated Ray lovers down here who have uh, come out to support your show this morning and, uh, and the Project Banjo crew. Um, lots of uh, cupcakes and cookies and whatnot to share, as well as some uh, awesome new bumper stickers to uh, flash around in our cars. 
Very nice. Who doesn't love a good bumper sticker? <laughs> you pop one right next to a triple R one as well. Excellent. I'm going to move back to talking about the petition um, and really just getting a sense of when this took off. So we've just, I don't know if you've he- heard what we've been speaking about, uh, AJ, but um, uh, the photo was taken. What happened with the petition? How did, how did that start? Yeah, so the photo started to go viral and take on a life of its own as people were really looking for ways that they could express their concerns about what was happening with the raise in Victoria and the photo wound up going into the Herald Sun and we got an invitation you know to do some media and in relation to that media um, we met Travis Dowling uh, the executive director of fisheries who's also here live in the studio with us today to celebrate what's been achieved and so people really wanted to add their voice you know this has never been a one or two or three person campaign and so when you get 33,000 people who go hey we need change we need better protection for these animals and they want to express that then sometimes a petition like the one we set up is the best way to really consolidate that so you know any one person can have a concern but when you add all of those voices together, that's when real change happens. When did you um, think it might be possible to actually change the law? Oh, sorry, AJ, were you about to jump in? No, no, I'm good. Excellent. <laughs> when, when, did you, uh, when did you think it was possible to, to actually bring about changes to Victorian legislation? I didn't know if it was possible, but I came out of a really early dive, even before Mark took that picture, and I'd seen so many of these poor dead banjos that had been caught and thrown back in because they were unwanted catch. And I climbed out of one dive and I actually rang one of my marine heroes, Alan Beckhurst, who works at the Queenscliff Marine Discovery Centre. And I just said, Alan, I need to talk to you. I said, I think I've seen one too many banjos dead at the end of you know, the fishing end of the pier. I've been seeing this for years. Do you think it's possible that if if I get some people together that we might be able to start seeing some changes? And he, he basically said something along the lines of, it's important that somebody does something. Mm, that's right. And that was enough encouragement, actually, to, to set this whole thing to life. It's been such an incredible um, success story. I've got one last question for you because we have uh, Minister Jala Pulford on the line. Um, we've had a, we had a caller who's also running and said, explain about the photo of the ray. So I've sort of talked about it in broad terms. Can you describe the ray photo? What? Okay, so th- this... The this first one, because of course what happened was after this dive, a few days later, there were some um, shovel nose rays that, that, you were, that you found as well. But let's go back to the iconic photo. Yeah, look, look I mean, the, it was a stingray. The stingrays are about five foot across and this particular stingray, it had its wings cut off, its tail was cut off. So all that was left was was a, a, a one-foot-wide section of ray, just lifeless, sitting there below the pier, wasted. Mm. And um, as I said, if, if you see the beauty of the ray swimming, um, to see the wings chopped off it, you've taken away that that beauty, that angel. It, and they are like an angel of the ocean. They're, they're just amazing creatures. They're glorious, and aren't that's, they? That was, it. That was what it, that's what we were faced with. So. Yeah, and it, it really kind of pumped things along. Um AJ, I'm going to say goodbye to you because I know that you're down there at Ceres and we have a Minister on the phone. Um, can you save some cupcakes for us because we're going to be heading down just after 10 o'clock? Of course we can, of course we can. Congratulations to everyone involved and thanks, Ron, for supporting us like usual. You guys are legends and congratulations on 2017. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you down there in about uh, just over half an hour. No worries. Ciao. See you then. Bye.
Um, thanks so much to the three of you for coming in. One quick question. What do you hope is going to happen next? The, uh, I would just say the awareness continues to spread. There's education initiatives. There's so many positive moves. There's so many people that know about this issue that didn't before. So we're just trying to create that social change in behaviour that these are animals that need to be treated more kindly. Great. And that's a really good question, a good, good point to leave on, um, partly for our conversation we're about to have with Minister Jala Pulford, but also it's a, it's, this is a point I want to pick up with um, with Travis Dowling and, and Joe Klemke when they come in. Thanks so much for, to the three of you. Thank I know you. some of you, have, yep. you've all come up from the peninsula, from Mornington Peninsula. You've given up your Sunday, but um, we're celebrating it and what a great thing that is. Now, campaigns to change the law are often a relay. Someone picks up the baton and passes it on to someone else who passes it on to someone else and if we're lucky eventually it makes it over the finish line as with all great realize the one it takes the final runner to get the baton across the finish line and our next guest did just that minister jala pulford is minister for agriculture and on the first of november this year she announced in parliament that victoria's recreational fishing rules are about to be strengthened to ensure that raised skates and banjo sharks will be treated with more respect. To talk more about this fantastic outcome, it's with great pleasure now that we welcome to Triple R and to Radio Marinara, Minister Jala Pulford. Good morning, Minister. Good morning. Lovely to be with you. Oh, look, thanks so much for joining us, and particularly on, on a Sunday morning as well. Um, look, first up, congratulations on this fantastic outcome. Look, this has just been a, a wonderful example of a community group who's had a concern around an issue, working with... Um, the Victorian Fisheries Authority and with the government to make a make a change. And I just love your analogy about the baton passing. I hadn't thought of it like that. It's <laughs> pretty much how it works. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your role, I guess, as that final baton holder, um, as, as in your role as Minister responsible for Victoria's fisheries? Yeah, so the agriculture portfolio includes the management of our fisheries and we're always um, very conscious about the need for sustainable management of our fisheries. Um, we work, I work closely with the New Victorian Fisheries Authority and with our stakeholders across the fisheries and um, that's, you know, in the commercial sector but also our very large numbers of recreational fishers in Victoria um, to improve their experience but also, you know, we always have an eye to the long term and so managing the resource uh, responsibly and sensibly is always in the forefront of our thinking. Can you uh, talk us through a little bit about how when you first became aware of the plight of the rays? When did you first come across this issue? Oh, look, I think it was probably an initially um, contact from Project Banjo, um, email, emails, but also quite a bit of social media activity that I saw, um, but photograph that you were talking about a minute ago and um you know this is this is an issue that i think you know we've had a really great resolution to because the volunteers at project banjo have raised awareness of this issue incredibly effectively that's right and the initial footage was pretty shocking and um it's something that really touched us i think every now and then some you you get these big moments where there's, I think, an, just a general recognition that something needs to change. And having seen that sort of take off so quickly, it was really, it was really quite incredible to watch. Um, we're going to have shortly in studio um, Travis Dowling and, and Joe, Dr Joe Klemke who are waiting in the green room and they're going to talk more about the nuts and bolts of the regulations. But I just wanted to ask you sort of broadly, what do these amended regulations mean for the protection of rays and skates and banjo sharks? 
Well, um, they, so the regulations do a few different things. They prohibit the take of rays, skates and guitar fish greater than one and a half metres wide. Um, they also reduce the daily bag limit from five to one, you know, as well as applying that rule about size. And they also prohibit the take or possession of these species within 400 metres of a pier, jetty, wharf or breakwater. So um, there's, you know, quite quite a, a few new changes and they've been developed in consultation with recreational fishing groups uh, who have come to the party in terms of responding to this community concern and you know I think um, you know the regulations will be um, you know a, a good and balanced approach that means that people who go down to the water to interact with these beautiful creatures um, won't be confronted with the kind of images that we've all seen. Yeah, it's really it's been really interesting in the 20 years that we've been broadcasting this program. We've seen it again and again that often controversial matters involving fish, they either go on for a long time or they don't end well. And you have sort of these three, often three key sector groups, the conservation sector, the recreational fishing sector and the commercial sector. And it's the fish that sort of sit in the middle of that triangle. This has been a really successful Cinderella story. I've described it as a Cinderella story a few times. And it was really swiftly resolved. What was it? that made it such a successful outcome um, from your position as Minister? Oh, look, I think the um, willingness of all of those different interests to sit down and work out what was possible certainly cuts a lot of time out. Um, I was very keen to have um, the Victorian Fisheries Authority working on this quickly. You know, that's a, a big program and a lot of work to do, but this is, this is quite a discreet issue and um, being able to respond to it quickly is something we're really pleased to have been able to do. I think special mention needs to go to PT Hirschfield for leading the push and being, you know, such a dedicated champion of the cause. But also, you know, Project Banjo has been, um, you know, just wonderful in the way that they've been prepared to sit down and get into the detail about what would you know, what improvements would look like and that makes a world of difference. And there's lots of campaigns for change that uh, you know, directed at government at any day of the week. Um, but, you know, getting you know, sitting down and rolling the sleeves up and discussing the detail about what something different might look like is I think an important factor in success and quick success. PT is sitting here right with me now and she's brought in cupcakes for everyone and I'm sure she would be, um, if she possibly could, she'd be sending a cupcake your way to Minister. So. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds lovely. Yeah. Yes, I'm, up the, I'm up the road in Ballarat this morning, but I'm with you all in spirit. <laughs> Excellent. Um, do you think, a couple of quick last questions to end on, do you think, um, do, you, do you see this as being an example that could be a model of what to do in the future? It's a bit of a Dorothy Dixer, really, this question, but it, is this something that really kind of stands out to you as being really exceptional in terms of of what it's what it's led to. Look, it has it has been quick, and I've been very um, pleased about that. It is a good model. We have uh, through the Victorian Fisheries Authority um, a great relationship with VR Fish and Future Fish Foundation, with uh, the industry as well, and so there's lots of um, consultative groups and roundtables working on different issues. Um, but it is it's, it's a great model, uh, and you know we're very keen to support uh, both ARIC and commercial fishing 
uh, participants in the state um, to be able to work effectively with the community with you know a view to um, what's acceptable to the community and also a view to what's sustainable. And one last question um, before we let you go, wanting to really just uh, ask you about your priority areas for 2018. Where, where do you sort of see priority areas heading for you as Minister with Fisheries Portfolio? Oh, look, we'll certainly keep up our work on socially responsible fishing and the best use of fish. We're um, very much encouraging people to try fishing, but we're also conscious that in growing our number of wreck fishes, we need to be promoting uh, good practice and best practice all the time. Uh, we've got some great uh, social media activity going now with the Victorian Fisheries Authority and uh, lots of information on the website as well as signs and other ways of making sure people know what the rules are and why the rules are important. Um, but we've also got a wonderful project in Port Phillip Bay which is about restoring lost shellfish reefs um, which provided some further funding to that wonderful project and we're restoring native fish populations um, through our restocking program. Uh, Murray Cod's a big feature of that. Lots of fishing festivals and community events too which you know are wonderful to just get people out and about talking about fishing and talking about responsible fishing are an important opportunity for us to be talking to people about the rules of fishing and um, yeah, continuing on, I think, um, in the way that we have the last few years. Fantastic. We'll let you go on that note, but it um, be great to catch up with you next year and talk some more, um, particularly about the Shellfish Restoration Project. We've touched on that over the last couple of years, but uh, if, if you would like to come back on next year, we'd love to speak with you more. Yeah, that sounds great. Love to. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks so much for your time. Coming up to 20 minutes to 10, and if you've just tuned in, today's Radio Marinara is a celebration of a successful campaign and its successful response by Victorian Government to provide better protection for the raised skates and banjo sharks of Victoria. We've just been speaking with Minister Jala Pulford about these new laws and her role in bringing them to fruition. Well, parliamentary processes don't just happen by magic. Maybe sometimes there's a bit of magic, but there's usually a huge amount of work going on behind the scenes to make the visions and the aspirations an actual reality bound in law. So to tell us what that's all about, what it takes to change fisheries laws in Victoria and maybe how the magic happens, it's with great pleasure we welcome from Victorian Fisheries Authority Executive Director Travis Dowling. Good morning, Travis. Good morning. And Principal Policy Analyst Dr Joe Klemke. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. What a lovely show. <laughs> a pleasure. It's great to have a show where we just we're just celebrating. I mean, you know, usually the last show of the year we tend to celebrate the end of the year anyway, but what a what a note to go out on. Um, let's start with a general question about Victorian Fisheries Authority. You used to be Fisheries Victoria, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. So we changed about six months ago. We're now a standalone independent authority. And for people that like sort of fish out there, it's um, it's a great move for us because we get to really concentrate on uh, protecting fish, providing good fishing opportunities and you know, really working closely directly with the community. What's the role of um, Fairfane making fisheries law? What What is it that you do? So I've spoken a bit throughout the show about, you know, the, the nuts and bolts mm. of, of making laws. How do you go about that? I, I don't want to steal Joe's thunder, but I'll, I'll say a couple <laughs> of things. And I, I do. I just want to recognise PT and all the people that have worked on Project Banjo, um, but also some people that aren't here today, Dallas De Silva, who's our Director of Policy, who's worked really hard on <clears throat> on this project, and Joe. Um, 
We've got a couple of different instruments. We've got regulation, we've got legislation. We also use things called fisheries notices, but all of it basically is to create law uh, to you know, set bag limits and size limits. And in this case, a really fantastic outcome about social licence and all sectors of the community working together to put in regulations that are um, about protecting rays and, the, and the, you know, the broader marine environment, which has been incredibly well supported across all the sectors. Have you, um, Joe? What's what's your role as principal policy analyst in this particular project? Um, I've been working with with Project Banjo and with PT, um, with the recreational fishing community, and with our, all our our people across fisheries. So in fisheries, we have fisheries officers who have been out and about responding to one three fish calls, following up, putting signs on piers. I've been working with our um, our education team. Um, who have been um, doing a program out on the, the piers and jetties as well. And we've been literally reading submissions, <laughs> reading emails and drafting our fisheries notice. It's interesting when you have regulations and you have legislation and it, it's there and it serves its purpose. And then, and we've seen this, you know, in the years that we've been broadcasting, things can change. And this is a perfect example of that where there's obviously something that the regulations may be what they used to do aren't doing as well anymore and then it, there's that time when it becomes obvious that something needs to be adjusted or amended. Um, what were the regulations around raisin skates and banjo sharks before this issue arose? So previously you could take five uh, banjo sharks or five rays and basically any size uh, from anywhere. But the community, the community's come a long way and it's just an amazing thing to see rec fishers and commercial fishers and conservation groups all working together um, you know, and quite holistically saying that the community changed a lot of attitudes. And one of the things, and I don't need to tell your listeners, but I'll say from a fishing point of view, a lot of fishers that go out in the end of piers to catch a snapper or whiting, they love also seeing the large rays and they'll take their, their children out there and watch the large rays. And what, what came out of this campaign is we realised a lot of these rays have got pet names and, and people in the local communities know them. And so fishers um, who can sometimes be categorised in a particular area uh, the overwhelming sentiment that we had come back into from fisheries is, now we love these animals as well as um, anyone from conservation groups and, and we want to support their protection because when we're out there fishing and catching a snapper or whiting, it's beautiful for us and our children to see these things swimming around and... Yeah. It's really interesting and you raise a really good point about that identity when people actually establish that identity with an individual animal which is resident or it's a, they become regulars in a way. Yeah. And I've noticed that I've grown up in a fishing family with more my dad and my brothers. I get too seasick to go out in the open ocean, but anyway. Yeah, I'm the same. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they have these particularly uh, when we talk about great whites um, and we've done, you know, we go up to the south coast of New South Wales a lot and there's a great white resident shark um, out near Montague Island, which the locals all know as Montague Lil, mm. Lil as in Lily as in the great white shark. And, and it's interesting, they have this completely different sort of um, uh, approach, different mentality around the animals that they suddenly they have this, you know, ability to identify with. There's a connection. There's some. It's like a relationship that gets developed. Absolutely, and I think you touched on it earlier about community attitudes change, and it's not. It's it, we're not in a stable place going forward for 40 years. You know what was okay 40 years ago mightn't be okay tomorrow or the next day, and that's not to say you know we'll continue to always have great fisheries and make sure that people will compromise around the edges to allow people to go and take a feed of fish if they want and others. But what we've seen with a number of our size and bag limits is some of the practices in the past, particularly species like Murray Cod, which are a long way from stingrays. Years ago, there was no bag limit, there was no size limit, there was set lines, there was all sorts of... 
Now those fish are very, very um, heavily protected, and that's occurred because wreck fishers want them to be protected in that way. They, you know, they really value and cherish these iconic native Australian fish. Mm-hmm. So, and we, we've seen that with stingrays as well. It's not a pushback from one sector who just want to be extracting. It's coming together and saying, hey, you know, we've got a wonderful environment, and let's look after this part of our environment. Yeah, and it's a whole new model, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Yeah. Are yeah. you hoping that this will? This is going to be my last question. I'm going to, going to throw it in now. Are you hoping that this will kind of bring about a whole new way of doing things? Well, I think we're already seeing that and mm. it's not being government-driven, it's being community-driven and people are saying, you know, here's our expectations. And what I love about what PT and Project Banjo have done, they haven't come out and they haven't um, demonised wreck fishers, they haven't, you know, you know, pounded the table, they haven't said we want, you know, fishing to stop. They've been really pragmatic and they've come at a really... Um, I suppose a way that's made everyone feel really comfortable and got on board and I think it's just it's a great model going forward on getting things done. It's been not a simple um, situation this one either has it it's not just about regulation breaches it's been complicated by that matter of animal cruelty so we were talking earlier about that photo with the the ray that had undergone what was effectively a shark like the equivalent of shark finning how do you tease something like that out which department takes on the role of resolving something that maybe cuts across different management jurisdictions? Um, yeah, well, we've got regulations under the Fisheries Act in terms of making sure that um, you know fish that are retained are dispatched humanely, and it is an offence. And I won't be able to quote which section, but it is, um, it is an offence under the Fisheries Act to not. Uh, dispatch animals that are going to, or fish that are going to be kept humanely. So, you know, we work very strongly on you know, on making sure because again, it is about social license. And anyone who sees a fish being treated cruelly, um, other fishers won't um, uh, respect or support that. So, it's not just about members of the community saying, "Hey, that's you know, that's not appropriate." Uh, the fishing community will say that. Sorry, Joe, did you want to...? Yeah, one of the things that we've been doing alongside the fisheries notice is reminding everyone of that regulation that was already in place and, um, and hopefully your listeners will have seen our signs. We've got signs out on the piers about responsible fishing for rays. Um, the rules were already there, but this has been a reminder to us that there's a small proportion that might not be remembering and so we've, we've got an education campaign running now and, um, and that, those rules have always been there and they'll continue. Now, your education campaign, Operation Liberty, is that the one? That's the one. Yep, and I noticed that uh, mentioned in in, uh, Minister Pulford's press release as well. Can you talk us through what that's all about? Um, So Operation Liberty is is run and spearheaded by our education and enforcement team. Um, So there's been an education phase. We already had some signs up on the piers about responsible fishing. There's now more new signs going up reminding people that as well as responsible fishing, we've got some new rules. Um, Our education officers and fisheries officers have been out and about on the piers talking to the community and they've been overwhelmed by the positive response to these new rules and also by the awareness. And so PT and her team have done a great job um, getting the word out and um, and then we'll be following up with making sure with, with our enforcement tools that people are are following the new rules that we have. Mm. And the social media has been a really significant part of that too. And we've got a couple of staff, Lauren Hall and Mark Ainsworth, who have been really running hard on social media and uh, our Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter and uh, we're into all of it. Really, really positive feedback about race protection. 
That's great. Um, what are you going to do if the problems continue? There's always that possibility that you might have um, individuals out there in the community who don't care or maybe angry about other things or maybe don't understand. What, what happens from here? Well, I think what we've demonstrated with this is that we will take action and we're very strong in that space. We like to think, you know, as an independent authority that we have got the capacity to move quite quickly. So, you know, we'll continue to work with all of the sectors and make sure that people are aware and they are, you know, basically getting on board with the changes. But, you know, if people aren't, then, you know, we still have options to, uh, you know, to, to take further steps to make sure that, you know, basically the uh, the will of the people is being followed in relation to this. Fantastic. Last question um, to leave uh, on. Um, just because you're here and it's the end of 2017, what are your priority areas for next year? Well, we've got a lot to do next year. It's the last year of uh, four-year commitment in relation to rec fishing. So we've got a target one million program where we're trying to get a million people out fishing. But we want to continue to work on just bringing all of the sectors together, making sure our you know, fresh Victorian seafood, you know, it, it's not necessarily about harvesting more. It's about, you know, uh, selling it for the best possible price and making sure that people are enjoying uh, fresh seafood, but also just continuing to work with the community and making sure that where we have got areas that come up, whether they be opera house nets being fished illegally in rivers or other areas that are having damaging impacts upon our um, our native wildlife that, uh, you know, we're on top of those. Mm. Joe, what are your priorities as principal policy analyst? <laughs> were you not quite sure yet. Um, I'm now working on some more um, of the protected species interaction work and I think that the responsible fishing agenda is going to continue to be big for us Um, and it's lovely to work um, out with the community, with with PT and Project Banjo, with the rec fishing sector, with the commercial um, fishers directly and so if I'm doing that, that'll be good. Great. Um, Where can people go for more information, particularly in relation to Operation Liberty and what you're doing there and the education campaign? Certainly, I absolutely encourage people to follow us on Facebook and uh, and you know get behind us on Instagram as well. There's there's regular posts going up there, you know, a couple of times a week. But also onto the VFA website. So if people just you know Google VFA, um, you know Victorian Fisheries Authority, they'll get straight onto it. And there's lots of information there on what's happening and, and media releases and so forth. Fantastic! Congratulations again. It's an absolutely brilliant outcome in such a short period of time, and I think really set the bar in, in terms of what can be achieved. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. and uh, hopefully we'll get you back in next year. Fantastic. Love to have you back. Thanks so much. Thank you. I've been speaking with uh, Travis Dowling, uh, Executive Director of Victorian Fisheries Authority, and uh, Dr Joe Klemke, Principal Policy Analyst from Victorian Fisheries Authority. Okay, we're going to go back to you, Rex. Right, international news, Bron. Um, we've got, you know, we're talking about the Antikythera wreck last year mm. and the year, well, probably the year before as well. Well, there's another survey season on this. The Antikythera wreck is um, off the island of Antikythera, which is about... 240 kilometres south of Athens in Greece, so not a local job. And this was a, a like a first century BC wreck. It was they estimated it was about 40 metres long, which is huge for you know something a couple of thousand years old. Well, they've had another season there, and the wreck's located in about 55 metres of water uh, with rebreather and technical divers, and they've actually salvaged or not salvaged. That sounds a <laughs> bit They've through surveyed in and recovered uh, some bits and pieces of bronze statues like arms and you know really rare stuff marble statues uh bits of marble statues sarcophagus um and another sort of uh a bronze boss sort of boss is about it's about 75 millimeters across with a a cow or bull 
sort of, you know, which could be part of that mechanism we talked about as well, the uh, the, the world's first computer. Yeah, we talked about it earlier this year. Yeah, it, it's absolutely amazing. So they're still finding... The, it's one of the first archaeological site ever worked on by... Uh, or it wasn't... It was an archaeologist, but he was directing the operations from a, a crane in a boat above back in about 1918 or something like that, 1908. So it was one of the first... Maritime archaeological sites investigated and they're still recovering material after you know 100, 100 odd years on the job. So it's just in the every season they're going back again in May next year to do some more work. Fantastic. So we've also got some more international news. So we've got um, we've got time for one more really one quick more, one. Well, we got uh, <laughs> commercial treasure hunters versus uh, state state authorities in the uh, Cape Cavernal. A group was given. Uh, permit to look for uh, wreck sites off Cape Canaveral and they end up finding a six, uh, 16th century French ship that disappeared in um, 15, 1556 or something like that. So, uh, And it was a, a Navy ship. So there's a big dispute on it at the moment about who has ownership because the French have claimed rights over it because being a naval ship, they have they have the right. It's still part of their sovereign sovereign state. So um, there's a big dispute on the courts at the moment over who gets the right to recover because they found bronze col- uh, cannons, they found marble statues, oh, wow. and all this type of thing. So um, it's hugely significant. Hugely significant, and then who who gets the booty in the end, whether it <laughs> belongs to the public or whether it belongs to uh, private operators. Let's pick that one up first thing next year. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm going as quick as I can. No, right. that, that's good. I've got a few people to thank, but thanks so much, Rex, no and thanks for all your input this year. Been a pleasure. It's been marvellous. Um, thanks to our guests today, uh, PT Hirschfield, uh, AJ Morton down at Series, Jackie Younger, they're down there at the moment. Hopefully they'll save us some cupcakes and Mark Jones as well. Um, PT is still in the studio. Thank you so much. Huge credit to PT for basically doing all my work this morning and lining up everyone to come <laughs> in and be on the phone. Of course, thank you so much to Minister Pulford. Uh, Travis Dowling and Joe Klemke from Victorian Fisheries Authority. We didn't get on to David Kramer. I've got a feeling he might have been calling, but we uh, Kent is here working his panel magic, so we didn't have anyone to take the call. Look, just a um, few people to thank because we're winding up. Uh, Dr Beach, John, Angeline, Terry Allen, Anth Nerida, and especially Kent, who I mentioned, who is here week in, week out. Our regular guests, Jeff Maynard, Neil Blake, Dr Surf and Captain Windshift, and from Triple R, Elizabeth McCarthy, our talks producer, Beck Hornsby, our Triple R program manager, Deakin University, who's our chief sponsor throughout the year, and, of course, all of you out there listening, you, you, our subscribers, our supporters and our listeners. It's been an absolutely massive year for Radio Marinara, 20 years of broadcasting, and we're looking forward to the next 20. Twitch. Have yourselves a wonderful <laughs> summer. Get out there and enjoy it, and um, stay tuned for Radiotherapy. We'll catch you for uh, 2018 for another year of all things wet and salty. Have a great summer. Bye for now. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R Sponsors. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.